Amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. Some of you that have been familiar with the Word, you're in the Word, you, you know what this uh, particular chapter in Jeremiah is about. Amen. The potter and the clay. Praise God. We want to start at verse 1, Jeremiah 18, verse 1. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And we're going to stop right there. In this verse of Scripture, this particular passage, you know, it's been preached on several times. And, you know, often when people read this verse of Scripture, they read this passage and they talk about it, is that so much attention is placed on the fact that the vessel was marred. Amen? How many of you have heard this preached before? And they place a great deal of emphasis on the fact that the, that the vessel, that the potter was making, and just so we're all familiar with the concept, you know, uh, you've, you know, if you've had art class in high school or in college or anything like that, or you've seen that they've got a wheel, you know, and the potter, he'll, he'll be moving the, the wheel with his foot, and he'll take clay and he'll put it on there and he'll add a little bit of water and he'll squeeze that clay and mold it and smooth it out in his hands. And, and you know, and like I said, so, the Lord tells Jeremiah to go here, I'm going to give you this as an example, as an illustration to show you something so that you can understand. And so Jeremiah goes down, and as he's watching the potter work, he does see that the vessel is marred, some translations say ruined, but the, the vessel was just crumbled back down in the potter's hand while it was on the wheel. And like I said, so many times when you hear this taught and ministered on, great emphasis and attention is paid to the fact that the vessel was marred. But if you read the rest of it, it also says that the vessel was made again. Amen? And, and that's where, I believe that's where the Lord would have us pay the most attention in the story. Yes, the vessel was marred. Yes, the wheel was someplace where that vessel that was being made was marred or ruined or squashed back down. But as long as the clay stayed on the wheel, it was in the position where the potter could mold it and make it a new vessel again. Amen? And just some things that we, that we wanted to share with you is you understand uh, this, that as I've read this, and years ago, uh, years ago before I even went to Bible school, I ministered on this subject and I taught, and the Lord's you know, is giving me some, some more revelation on it. Too many times, the, the casual reading of this passage, we will think that the potter was who was responsible for the vessel being ruined. And so... But, when, but if we think about this, who does God, in this illustration that God gave Jeremiah, who does the potter represent? The potter. The potter represents God. The clay represents the people. So if we interpret this story to be that the potter, it was the potter's fault, the potter was the blame for the clay or the vessel being marred, what are we actually, how are we actually interpreting this story? We're interpreting the story that God did something to the vessel to ruin it. Right?
But, you know, this is the thing. I don't know if you all have ever done I remember when I was in high school, and I had art class in high school, that we actually did some, some clay uh, work. And I got to noticing that you could get that clay, and, you know, you, you put water in it, and it usually started out as a powder or something like that, and you added the water, and you had to stir it up and everything. It was, it was crushed. But any of you, if you've ever worked with clay, and you put it on the wheel, and you'd work with it, every once in a while, they'd be a little hard chip of something in it. You'd be molding, you'd be spinning it, you'd be adding some water to it and working with it, and there'd be a hard speck in that clay. And while you was working and putting pressure on that, that vessel to mold it into what you want to, if you hit that hard speck of something, it could deform the vessel that you were making. And then also that hard speck in it made it incapable. Uh, you know, it wasn't With that speck in it, you couldn't take that clay vessel and fire it and it'd be usable because that would put a defect in the vessel. Well, you know, I was, as I was studying yesterday and preparing for this morning's message, I got, did a little bit of studying and come to find out, do you know that not all clays are created equal? Amen? There are different types. Anybody that does any type of pottery work, they will know and realize there are different types of clays that have different types of characteristics. You know, different, when we talk about characteristics, we talk about the pliability or plasticity of a clay. You know, some clays are more moldable and flexible than what others are. Uh, so the firing temperatures are different on different types of clay. Some clays, you can form them into a certain vessel, and if you fire them at a certain, heat them, at a, at a, bake them at a certain temperature, they'll dry and crack, and the vessel becomes unusable. Why? Well, is it is it the potter's fault? Well, some would some people could say, well, you know, the potter ought to know what kind of clay he's working with, and that's exactly the point that I'm making. Is that the potter knows the type of clay he's working with? You understand that a good potter has to be aware what type of material am I working with, and you realize, and I, and I come to find this out, is that you could have one type of clay that by itself is not suitable for the vessel that you want it to be, but if you take uh, you know, a handful of another type of clay, add it to that and knead it into that vessel. You put just enough of that other clay in it to where it where it makes the clay that you're working with suitable for the intention that, that you want to make it. Amen? And so, well, what's your point, Pastor Brian? My point is is that God is represented as, as the potter in the story, and we obviously are the clay. And so the potter has to know that the, that the reason, perhaps, that the vessel was marred or ruined wasn't incompetence or a lack of skill or carelessness on the part of the potter, but perhaps as the potter began to work with the clay to make the vessel that he wanted it to be, the potter came to the realization, wait a minute, the vessel that I'm creating, that I'm taking this lump of clay and working it into... There's qualities that are, that are deficient or not present, and I need to tear this down, and I need to work on it some more. Can we see that? that God, so that the potter ruined the vessel. And like I said, don't pay so much attention to the potter marred the vessel. The vessel was marred. You understand this? The passage doesn't even say the potter marred the vessel, does it? The passage says the vessel was marred in the potter's hand. Right? There's a difference. You know, we're not just playing semantics. There's a difference between... Uh, that you did something to mar something, and that something just marred while it was something was ruined while it was in your hand. And so 
we see where the Lord, where the, where the Lord used this example of Jeremiah to show him, and he told him, he said, cannot not do with the whole house of Israel. Now, you understand this, is that God was talking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet to the, the, the kingdom of Israel. And it was at the, at the time they were an apostate kingdom. They had turned their back on God. And so God was using the example for Jeremiah as speaking to a whole nation. But the application for the individual person is it, you can use this story as an application uh, for an individual person. Amen? You need to realize, just like the characteristics of clay determine the utility of it, the characteristics, uh, the, our characteristics and our character determine our utility to God. Amen? Just like we were talking about, you know, that the potter, the type of clay that he's working with determines the, ves- the use of the vessel the po- or the potential use of the vessel he's molding is that our characteristics, uh, our character, how we behave, our attitude, our response, our character, how do we respond to certain situations? Because you understand that really when we're talking about the characteristics of the clay, we're talking about how it will respond to the pressure of being molded, we're talking about how will it respond when it's placed in the oven and heat's applied to it. How is it going to react to the circumstances that it's placed in? And so its reaction to the, the circumstances that are imposed upon it or the environment that it's placed in, amen, how it reacts is what determines its usefulness, amen? Turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 2. Amen. I'm, I'm going to show you that God has got greater plans for you than you could imagine. Amen. He sees your full potential. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> and let's, let's start with verse 19. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal... The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now that word iniquity, it literally means injustice, um, moral wrongfulness. In other words, it means that, uh, this is a good layman's term, that iniquities and sins are not the same thing. Sins are the actual transgressions. Iniquity is the capacity to commit those transgressions, to commit sin. So he, say, he says here, who everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. Well, what's the latter? Amen. It says latter, not ladder. Amen. Not something you climb a building with. If you cleanse yourself from the latter, well, what's he talking about? You have to look back up there to verse 19 to see. The latter is, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so he goes down to verse 1. Anyone who cleanses himself from the latter cleanses himself from iniquity. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Amen? And so you understand this as we begin to, to look at this. God, you know, God calls us as believers to specific roles. Amen? How many of y'all know that God has a purpose? We spent a lot of time back early in the year emphasizing, teaching to you that you have a purpose in the kingdom. That each and every person that God calls, everyone that is born again, everyone that becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus, that God has a specific purpose in mind for you. I'll put it this way, before you were even born again. 
Do you know God was, God was thinking good thoughts about you even when you were lost? God, and God looked at you and God saw the potential and God knew the potential that was in you and God just couldn't wait to get His hands on you. Amen? I've told people before, you know, God is out to get you, but it ain't the way people think that it is. Most people think God's out to get you, that He's got a ball bat and He's out to put you in the dirt. Amen? How I many of you know if God just wanted to kill you, He could do it pretty easy, right? He could, get you, he could take you out pretty quick, right? But getting you the way God wants to get you requires an act of your will. God wants you because God sees the potential that He's placed in you. God knows what the, the treasure that He's placed in you, that if He can just get you to, to become a new creature in Christ, if He can get you to come to, to Him through faith in Jesus Christ, and that you, if, you'll be, if you'll submit yourself to the potter's hand, that He can just release those gifts, and that there's a tremendous benefit that you have that the body... And th- you understand this... The gifts that God places in, in people are not just for the church. They're for the whole world. Amen? You want to talk about this? what has made America great for so long. It has not been that we've been an economic powerhouse. It's not been that America has had a great military. It's that America, more than any other nation in the world, has had a rich heritage of, of a Christian tradition. And it's sad that we see ourselves getting away from that and we think that we're grasping for all these other things to return the greatness to America. And I remember when I was in uh, a civics class in college, there was this book uh, called uh, Democracy in America by a Frenchman named Alexis de Tocqueville. I probably butchered his name, but he's French. What can I say? Amen? But the book, you know, it's, it's, you know paperback, it's about that thick. And it was this uh, Frenchman that came to America in its early stages of, of American uh, independence. And he went all through America, and he was noticing things. He was making observations. He, he was a political scientist. He was making observations about America, trying to see what is it that makes America great. What is it that made America great? And one of his conclusions was that, uh, that one of the things, the thing probably that contributed mostly to American greatness was the preaching of the gospel from the pulpits of America and that America was a God-fearing nation that esteemed God's Word. Now, this was a man that was a political scientist that over 200 years ago made these observations. Amen? And so you understand this, is that America was great because the majority of people were God-fearing. Even if they weren't believers, they were at least God-fearing, and they esteemed the Word. They esteemed the church. They esteemed the man of God. They esteemed Christian people. Amen. But you understand that, that there was the, the role of the church in America made America great, and it was a and it was a gift to the whole world. The gift of what, of what the gospel brought to people not only did it benefit the churches in America for years and years and years, but it blessed the entire country. And that's what God's saying is that there's gifts and there's talents in you, there's things in you that I want to release that are so much bigger than you that if you will just submit yourself to me. Let me mold you, take these things and work things in you. you. Your potential in life is much greater than what you've ever thought. Amen? And it doesn't matter your age in life. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. huh? It doesn't matter if you're a child, a teenager, or if you're an, old pers- an older person, you're not old, but older person, and you're thinking retirement. It, it just blessed me. You know, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, Brother Lester Sumrall. A great man of God. Man, it, the, the, he was, before World War II, he was riding through China, the mountains of China, on the back of a donkey preaching the gospel while World War II is going on. Amen? Tremendous man of God. And uh, 
Brother Summerall, you know, he 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 said uh, that uh, that he when he when the Lord approached him, he only had one choice. You know, he was healed when he was 17 years old of tuberculosis. And he only had one choice. He said the Lord showed him a vision. He said on one day he was laying in his bed, the doctor left the death certificate at his parents' house and told his dad, went ahead and filled the death certificate out and told his dad, he said, well, when he dies later, just write in the time when he dies. And said that the Lord showed him a vision and said on one side of his bed there was a casket floating, on the other side of his bed there was a Bible, and he said the Lord told him, you choose. And he said he knew exactly what the Lord meant because he had felt the call to ministry uh, for years he'd felt a call to ministry and had put it off and really the Lord was just telling him you're going to submit to what I've called you to do in your life or you're just going to reap the consequences of disobedience. You understand this, that God, does, God doesn't put out a hit on someone. If people get disobedient, people disobey the Lord, you, under, you understand this. And, and let me make this perfectly clear. Okay? When something bad happens, it is not always an indicator that someone's missed God. Sometimes we live in a fallen world and there's a devil that hates your guts and he wants to take you out and he wants to do anything he can. And you understand that those opportunities when you're walking upright before God and you're doing everything that God's called you to do, that those are faith opportunities. Those are opportunities to where you just say, you know what, I know I'm upright with God. I know my, con- my conscience is clear. Amen? And so this is the thing. I'm just going to stand in faith and resist it. But on the other hand... And this is where, you understand, sometimes things aren't just as cut and dry as what we'd like for it to be. Or, or, or the appearance of them. The things actually are cut and dry, but the appearance isn't always. Sometimes you may have something that's come on you because you've been deliberately disobedient to the Lord. But guess what? It's not going to be a secret to you. Right? God's not, God doesn't allow things to come up on you for your disobedience that you're ignorant of. So many times I've prayed with people and, and, and we've, talk, we've talked to people and ministered to them and they come back, you know, maybe there's certain situa- circumstances arising in their life and, and I'm not even talking about anything that's happened since we've been here in Georgia. I'm talking, you know, years ago that people will come and maybe a circumstance has, as, as, you know, they want, to count, they want you to counsel with them as a minister and something's went, you know, catastrophically wrong in their life and you begin to talk to them and you, and you begin to minister to them, and you know what? If you listen to them long enough, they'll tell you exactly what, they know exactly what it is. They'll say, God spoke to me and told me to do this years ago. Well, have you, ever, have you done that? No. Well, then we might be getting a clue as to why this has come on. And so you understand that when, when I make a statement that sometimes you can be disobedient to God and you can bring circumstances on yourself, don't think that pastor's saying every time you go through a hard spot, it's a result of your disobedience. This, uh, but I will say this. If that is the case, it won't be a secret to you. Huh? Because the Lord, He's not in the business of keeping you in the dark and making your life miserable because you're screwing up and you can't figure out what's going on. God, if that is the case, you will know it. <clears throat> Amen. You'll know it before you talk to the preacher. You'll know it before you pray. You'll know what the problem is. <clears throat> and in those circumstances, that's when you do have to address some things. Amen. You have to, you have to address some things. But you understand, God, but Lester Summerall, when he was, you know, when he was uh, looking toward retirement age, the Lord called him to go to the Philippines and Pioneer Church when he, he was in his late 50s, I believe. Mid to late fifties, and you know, and back when Brother Summerall was in his fifties, it was the nineteen sixties, I guess. You know, 
and people's retirement ages weren't as pushed out as far that that's the relevance of what I'm saying is that people you know back then in the 60s people were looking forward to retiring around 60 65 years old now you know 70 they're you pushing 70 now anyway for a lot of people right but you understand brother Summerall they told him they said you know the Lord called him to go to the Philippines and pioneer a new church there in the Philippines and other ministers were telling him oh you're missing God Summerall you're an old man you're all washed up He's in his 50s, late 50s. You're washed up. But you understand that he knew that there was a gift that was in him that God had placed in him and a call on his life that God wanted to use to be a blessing to the, the, the entire nation of the Philippines. And I'll guarantee you, if you go to Manila, Manila, the capital of the Philippines now, and ask him, hey, does anybody know anything about Lester Sumrall? They know about Brother Lester Sumrall because his ministry and what he went and did there changed the nation. Amen? And so you need to realize God has. Got, there are things in you that God wants to pull out to, to change the world. Because you understand this. Let's just be real honest. I don't even like to say that God has gifts and talents for you to benefit the church because you understand the whole purpose of the church being in existence is to be a whole blessing to the world. The church is God's gift to the world. Amen? And so you understand this, is that you have, you have calls, you have a call, you have a role... But we need to realize that our conduct or our behavior can disqualify us from operating in that role, but it doesn't relinquish us to the responsibility of that role. Let me say this again. is that every person in the body of Christ... You want to know, I'm going to give you a sports analogy. You know what the cool thing is about being on God's team? Is that God doesn't have any bench warmers. When you're on God's team, God's intention is for everybody to go through... Go through orientation, <laughs> get born again, begin to learn the Word, go through training, be a student of the Word. You understand God's will is that every believer should be a student of the Word. The fact that we have a Bible today, you realize there are, that there were men that were tortured, that died torturous deaths to get, us this, to get this book to you. If you know anything about history... The 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 the, the uh, organized church, and this ain't this ain't to slam anybody's church, but this is just a historical uh, fact to you, is that the Roman Catholic Church, when uh, I believe John Tyndall was one of the men that tried to translate the Bible, there were several men in England that tried to translate the word into the common vernacular of men, because then up till then it was in either you either read Greek or Hebrew or in Latin, because all the scriptures of the Catholic Church was written in Latin. And so if you didn't speak those languages, you didn't know what the Word of God said, and you just had to go to church and you listened to what a, pre, a priest taught you, and you just had to take him at his word. And if, and if he told you, you know, and this was some of the things that Martin Luther addressed when he wrote the 95 Theses, if the priest told you, you know what, um, the Bible says the adultery is wrong, but if you want to go out and get you a little bit of adultery, if you make a little offering to the church, we can give you a little indulgence, and you can go out and do what you want. And you understand that people, you talk about blind faith, that was really because when the Bible talks about faith, biblical faith is not blind faith. It's based on God's Word. But if you want to talk about blind faith, is that would be a situation when people were under blind faith. You just had to take another man's Word for what, what the Bible said. What, God, what did God say? Well, God said, you know, you know, you need to worship me. You need to whatever. And so you understand, but the Word of God, we should be students of the Word of God and realize that the blood of Jesus is what bought our covenant, but there was the blood of godly men that was shed to, to make this book available to you. And so we need, to get, we need to be familiar with the Word. We need to realize that when you read the Bible, it's God speaking to you. 
It's just like God sat down in heaven and took a pen and wrote you a letter and sent it to you and said, Look, I'm giving you this for good success. I'm giving you this so that you can begin to reach your potential. But anyway, you understand that with the call that you have, we should be students of the Word, we should go through orientation, and God wants every one of us to be starters on His team because you understand this, is that so many people, if we, if we neglect our call, and, and you understand why I say call, I don't mean that everybody's called to stand behind the pulpit and preach, but everybody that God that the names the name of Jesus, we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. God's, I've, I've said this before, God is all about relationship. God, and God's intention is, is that relationships be restored, they be made whole, that people are reconciled to Him. In other words, what's reconciled mean? It means that when people are at odds with God and God's against them, because you understand this, it, the Bible does say that God can be against someone. What's it say? It said, it said, you know, it says, submit yourself to God, uh, you know, submit yourself to God, and He'll exalt you in due time. It said, but it says, what's it say? It says, God resists the proud. God, now you understand this. God loves everybody, and what's it mean? What's it mean to be proud? It pride means this is the classic example of pride. And like I said, I, I like to try to take words that we think we know and make them simple to people. Pride means uh, this is the classic example of, of what God means when it means pride is God says one thing, you think another, and you do your own thing. In other words, and you're saying, well, I know what's better uh, than God does. I know what's better for me than what God does. And it says, God resists the proud. Now, you understand this, God loves everybody. And God wants to see everybody succeed. But the way He wants to see you succeed is submit yourself to God, and He'll exalt you in due time. Not you go out and you do your own thing because the Bible, like I said, it just makes it real clear. When you get in pride and you rebel against God, God's going to resist you. And it's the same word that's used that says if we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil, he'll flee, right? But if we, don't, if we refuse to submit ourselves to God and to, and to do what God wants to do, God will resist you. And guess what? You'll flee, right? I mean, run is in fear, right? Amen. It's the same word. But understand this is that that you can be called, you can have a gift, there's a gift in you, there's a call in you that God's placed, but we need to realize our actions, and understand this, the actions and behavior, <clears throat> actions and behavior emanate out of attitudes, thoughts, um, or, and character, right? I mean, this is the thing, if someone, <clears throat> if so, why do we call people a murderer? Because they go out and they murder people, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. You do it, and so you're, but their thoughts had to be there. The, the, the potential, the, the, and remember this, iniquity is the potential to commit sin. The level of iniquity had to be present in the person's heart before they could go out and be a murderer, right? And so that's why God's saying, we need to cleanse ourselves of iniquity. Understand this, is that, <clears throat> is that your actions and our behavior can disqualify us from what God's called us to do. Adam's choice altered God for, God's plan for his life, right? And the whole world, amen? Children of Israel were promised a fruitful land, but their choices kept them from entering into it, right? Well, I just believe that everything that happens is God's will. It wasn't God's will for Adam to sin and for death to enter the world. Huh? It wasn't God's will for the children of Israel, that first generation of Israelites that God delivered out of Egyptian bondage for them to die in the desert. 
That wasn't His will. His will was them for them. What He intended to be a little 40-day hike across the desert and right on into the promised land ended up being a 40-year field trip. And they died in the desert because of their choices, because they wouldn't heed the Word of God. Saul was disqualified as being king of Israel because, he, because of choices that he made. Understand, Judas... How many of y'all know that Jesus had a lot different plan for Judas for Judas's life than what Judas had for Judas's life? And decisions that he made, that you know, Jesus's plan for Judas was that he'd have an apostleship, that he'd be one, that he'd be one of the original twelve that went out and began to preach and to proclaim the gospel. But his choices, okay, that was based on his character. Understand this: is that that. This is, this is the big thing, and Lord, Lord help me get this across, is that how we respond to circumstances is a demonstration, and going back to the example of the illustration of the potter and the clay, how we react to circumstances is it, it displays the characteristics of the, of the clay that we're working with. Say, oh, pastor, is this one of them beat-down sermons? No, this is not a beat-down sermon. This is one of those, wow, we're opening our eyes and we're beginning to see stuff. We're beginning to see. What, you know, some of us, you know, we may deal with frustration. We're like, well, God, why ain't I having this, the, the results that I wanted to have? God, why ain't I seeing some of the things in my life that I want to see? Lord, I thought I had a word from you, and, and why am I not seeing this thing? But you begin to realize you've got to go back and you've got to check, you know, okay, um, how am I responding to things? How do, I, how do I react? Could I have reacted different in a situation and it turned out different? Could Adam, when the same situation came up, could Adam have behaved different and the outcome been different? Yes. Could the children of Israel, when God said, when they went in to spy out the land and they came back and there's giants in the land, and, and no doubt that was intimidating, but could they have acted different? Could they, instead of going, oh, there's giants in the land and we can't take it, could they have said, you know what? The same God that took us out of Egypt, the same God that drowned Pharaoh and his armies right in front of our face, if, he could, if, he could, if God could overthrow the greatest military power in the world at the time, can he give us this land that he's promised us? And so you understand, and so we begin, we begin to look at things and you begin to realize that there are certain things that, that we can do and this is the thing you understand, going back, you know, referencing back there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, you know, he said, if we cleanse ourselves from the latter, remember, if we cleanse ourselves from iniquity, then God's able to take us and He can mold us into a vessel that is, that is a vessel of honor, right? And so we begin to see that using this analogy and this illustration of the potter and the clay, that the clay has a lot to do with what can it be formed and what can it be used for. I've, I've known men in my life that had a call to ministry on their life, but because they couldn't keep their zipper up, they just completely disqualified from the ministry. I mean, and, and this is the thing, like I mentioned earlier, you may have a call and you may have something on your... You may have a call and you may have a gift... And your actions can disqualify you from that. But guess what? When you stand before God, He's still going to tell you, give me an account of the, of the ministry that I called you to. Give me an account of, of what you did with the talent that I gave you. And so we need to understand that, and you understand that God, he's, God's not looking for a, uh-huh, uh-huh, I put you in your place opportunity. God wants to, God knows that if He can just get us to tweak some stuff. How many of y'all realize the biggest obstacles in our life 
typically are not huge things. Do you realize most of us, and I'm saying myself included, most of us in our life, the things that, that seem like everyday giants, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about when I'm saying everyday giants? The things you wake up with in the morning, the things you wrestle with all day, the things when you go to bed, it's kissing you goodnight when you go to bed. I'm not talking about your wife, I'm talking about the problem, amen? That most of those things, a couple little tweaks. We're not even talking major renovation. A little tweak here, a little adjustment there, a little tweak here, and guess what? Those big problems start to go away. Why? Because, because all it takes is a little bit of fine-tuning. Now, now, do you understand this? The devil wants to paint you a picture. Man, your life is such a, a, a pile of garbage. You couldn't clean it up. If you, if you worked and tried to do good for the next 50 years, you couldn't clean up the mess of, of your life you've made. That's what the devil wants to try to persuade people. But you know what the honest truth is? It's just go in, got to make a little tweak here, maybe on the character a little bit. When I say I'm going to do something, I do it. You know, a uh, little tweak on the character a little bit over here. Well, you know what? You know, sometimes, you know, I, I got a loose mouth a little bit. I just tweak that just a little bit. And, 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 this, and, you, and you tweak this, and you just make a few little tweaks. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like our lawnmower, the church. You know, we've got a riding lawnmower that was donated to the church. And I, I was so frustrated with it, I was ready to strap a bomb to it and just blow the thing up because every time you used it, you had to jump start it. And it was just, and it was just a pain to use. And I was thinking, God, I, Lord, I really want to use my faith to believe you for about $1,500 just go buy a new riding lawnmower because this one right here, just, it, it tries my patience every time I get on the thing. Right? Well, guess what? Uh, Brother Chuck knew a guy that did some lawnmower work, and he picked it up, to, and they took it over to his house this, uh, this week, and he did about $75 worth of adjustments to it. That thing runs like a brand-new lawnmower. So what's the point, Pastor? My point is the temptation was there just to say, man, just scrap this whole piece of junk. And that's what the devil tried to get you to think about your life. Oh, it's such a mess. Just scrap this whole piece of junk. How many men have bought the lie, oh, your life's just a mess, you just need to leave your wife and kids and just go off and do something else? How many women have, have, have swallowed the lie? You know what, your husband's got your financial situation in such a mess, you just need to kick him to the curb and go find you a man that can take care of you. Huh? When, and, and all it took was a little bit of tweaking. And their situation with the lawnmower was, I was ready to just chuck that thing to the curb because I was convinced this thing's a piece of junk. But $75 worth of tweaking, and it's running like new, baby. Huh? And so, you, and so that's what we need to realize is that your life, don't buy the lie of the devil that things are such a mess that, that you're going to spend the next 30 years, next 25 years, however long the devil's trying to take, oh, you're going to spend the rest of your life and you ain't ever going to get past this problem. That's a lie. And, the, and as long as you believe the lie, you're going to be held in bondage to it. But if you can get a glimpse of a revelation that God, that God wants you to succeed, God wants your life to be blessed, God wants you to release everything that you've got to the world, that, that the life of God can flow through you to the world. And you know, we sang this morning about to be salt and light in the world. Amen? That means to be a blessing to the world. Some people think salt and light are irritants. Amen? The people that think salt and light are irritants are the people that live in darkness. Right? Because they like the darkness, because their deeds are dark. But you understand this is that you can't, you are not so far out that God can't. That, that God, but you understand this, it takes our cooperation. Amen. It takes our cooperation. Two th- and so we need to purpose in our heart, God. Then you understand. I'm talking about all of us, really. This is not. This is not a sermon for oh a low down sinner. This is not a sermon for a backslidden Christian. This is a sermon for all of us. This is a sermon that if we purpose in our heart, because this is the thing. 
I've said this before. I read, you know, I've, when I've made reference to this scripture over in Second Timothy before, it says if if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he makes himself. Well, just let me read it to you again. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> it says, but in a great house there are not only uh, vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, and some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And I've said this before. We, what, what determines whether or not we're a bedpan? Amen. What determines whether you're a bedpan or a golden goblet? We do. We get to choose. You understand God has not sat up in heaven and said, okay, um, this person's going to be a salad bowl. This person's going to be a golden goblet. This person's going to be a, a latrine. This, no, no, no. God, what God says is, God says, they're all vessels of honor to me. My plan is that they're all vessels of honor. God's got, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't pick favors. And this is the thing, and this is all I'm going to say about this morning. I read a little bit about on this and I studied and I thought about teaching someone. But some people say, oh, but now wait a minute, Pastor. Over there in Romans, it says that God will have mercy on whom He has mercy. And He'll, and He'll, uh, have judgment on who He'll have judgment. And it said He hardened Pharaoh. Right? The Bible does say that. But it's going back to that, the, the potter knows what he's got to work with. And this is the thing. God knew, me and Pastor Cheyenne were talking about this this morning. I said, let me ask you something. Remember the story, how many of y'all remember the story that Abraham went, Abraham and Sarah, they went into Egypt. And remember when he went into Egypt, the king of Egypt, which is still Pharaoh, which is a different Pharaoh, saw Sarah, she's 75 years old and thought she was hot. Woo! That's a blessing of the Lord. I hear Pastor Huffman used to say some of, them, some of the ladies in the church need to believe God for that. You'd be 75 years old and still be so good looking the men fighting over you. Amen. But Abraham went to Egypt and Pharaoh saw, saw the king of Egypt saw Sarah and wanted to take her. And, and Abraham, remember Abraham had told her, now when we get there, you're a beautiful woman to look at. You tell me you're my sister, not my wife. Right? And then guess what? Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, took Sarah to be his wife. And when he got there, man, there's all kinds of stuff going against him, right? And he realized, uh, wait a minute, this ain't, you know, this ain't his uh, sister, this is his wife. And so he immediately repented, changed, remember, repent just means the way, change the way you think. He immediately repented, gave Sarah back, and even gave Abraham gifts to make up for the fact I've been trying to put the moves on your woman. Okay? What's your point, Pastor? My point is, same country, same position, same position of authority in the country uh, as we read when Moses delivered the children of Israel. One man, though, God knew if he finds out that he's wrong, what he's made out of is he'll repent toward me and he's going to make things right. Because you understand, God could have just went, you know, laid the smack down on that king that took Sarah and killed him dead, right? But why didn't he? Because this is the thing. Judgment, judgment is not God's desire. God prefers mercy over judgment, but mercy is only accepted and received on His terms. God's saying, I don't want to destroy you. Uh, God, when God looked at the king of Egypt and, and Abraham and Sarah, God's like, I don't want to destroy you. I want to give you an opportunity to repent and to change your mind. And guess what? Because God knew what the, the materials that the vessel was made out of, God knew if He just realizes what He's done wrong, He's going to repent and He's going to make things right. Okay? Flash forward to Moses delivering the children of Israel. Why did God allow Pharaoh to be hardened? Why did God harden Pharaoh? Because he knew the material that this Pharaoh was made out of. 
And he knew that, that all the plagues could happen, and he still wasn't going to want to let the children of Israel go. And so God had mercy on whom he'd have mercy. The ones that, who's the ones that he'd have mercy on? Anybody that would receive it. Anybody that would receive it. But this is the thing. If we receive God's mercy on God's terms. Amen? And so, but the big thing is the, no, the, the makeup of the material and this. Okay? This right here. I'm going to give you a couple of ways that we stay on the wheel. Understand this. Back to Jeremiah 18. I remember I mentioned that too much emphasis is placed on the fact that the vessel was marred on the wheel and we need to put more emphasis on the fact that the potter stayed with it and worked with what he had to make it a vessel that he could use. Okay, This is the thing this morning. I want to encourage you to stay on the wheel. Stay on the wheel. Because there's too many circumstances. Amen. Let me read you. Is that there are circumstances. Everything that happens in your life has a molding effect. God can use every event in your life to fashion you into a vessel that gives Him glory and accomplishes His purpose while working toward your good. Amen? Some of you are taking notes. I'll give that to you again. It says, everything that happens in your life has a molding effect. Now, I want to say this, is that not everything that happens in your life is God's will. Not everything that happens... Because this is the thing, and, and, and this will really free a lot of us up if we absolutely make sure that in our thought process this is how we realize... Not everything that happens is God's will. Today, thousands of babies will die. That is not God's will. Okay? Today, hundreds of thousands of people will die and go to hell. Understand this. That is not God's will. It is not God's will. God, the Bible says, God says, I take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. You know, some people, some people make the mistake of thinking that God's happy, you know, when someone lives a life of wickedness and they split hell, you know, the, old, the preachers, Easter preachers, split hell wide open, you know. And some people would almost think that God's How many of you all know that breaks God's heart? Because God, when He sees that, God thinks, that was one of my creation. And that was someone that I intended to be my child and someone that I intended... And God sees, God sees the perishing... Uh, and all the potential that he had placed in that person, and he sees it, and he sees it go away. God, uh, but everything in your life, good or bad, you realize this: that even the mess that you got yourself into when you were younger, that you know wasn't God's will, you know that God did, God had little or nothing to do with it. But guess what? If you take that mess and you give it to God, guess what? He can take your experience. Now, I'll, I'll be real careful when I say this because, you know, some people, I've heard some people say before, well, you know what, if I hadn't been, you know, uh, into witchcraft, I couldn't have ministered to people that were in witchcraft. Or, if, you know, if I hadn't have been, you know, if I hadn't been strung out on drugs for 20 years, I couldn't have ministered to someone that's strung out on drugs. I'm just going to say this. Jesus could minister to all those people and Jesus never had that problem. That being said, though, it doesn't matter what your bad experiences were. You know what? This is the thing. If someone lived a homosexual lifestyle, was caught up in homosexuality for years and years and years, and God saved them and delivered them, and they came out of that lifestyle, then guess what? That whole segment of time, it's, it's inaccurate to say, well, you know what? God just wanted me to live that life for 20 years so I could minister to people. No, God didn't. But this is the thing. If you'll just present your whole self to Him and say, God, here I am. Here's the good. Here's the bad. Here's the ugly. Use me what you can. Then God can take what wasn't His desire 
what he didn't even want to happen in your life, something that was maybe destructive and brought, brought destruction and death in your life. But if you bring it to God, God says, you know what? I didn't really will for any of that to take place in your life, but you know what? You're giving yourself to me, and I can use that to minister to people now. You didn't necessarily have to go through it to be able to minister to the people because Jesus didn't get into that kind of stuff, and he ministered to people. But God can take what you give him you give him lemons, and God's going to make lemonade every time. Amen? Praise God. You understand this? Two things that we have to do to stay on the wheel. Number one is, is that we stay on the wheel by being a doer of the Word, not just a hearer. Amen? James chapter 1, verse 22. Amen? This is a real familiar passage of Scripture for most of you. Amen? James chapter 1, verses... Uh, Start with verse 22. It says, Be doers... Let me back up here. Verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now you understand, James is writing to the church. Most people would say, Well, I thought that these people were Christians and their souls were already saved. No, 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 no. When you get born again, your spirit gets born again. You understand that you are a three-part being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And when you get born again, your spirit is what gets born again. Now, your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, and your emotions. And that's why the and so you understand the Bible instructs us is that we are to renew that we are to renew our mind. In other words, we change the way we think. And you understand this that the key to having your soul saved, your spirit's already saved. Right? If you got born again, your spirit's already saved. Why do people make why do people make Jesus Lord and then live their life for decades, but you can't tell the life they live any different than people who don't even go to church? It's because they're not renewing their mind. And you're saying your mind, when we talk about your mind, we're talking about your soul. And this right here, this verse gives us a key. He says, Receive with meekness the implanted word of God. I like the King James Version says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. I've shared the example before. My dad used to like to graft, make grafts on fruit trees on my grandmother's farm when I was a boy. And if she had some apple trees that were, they weren't really good high quality apples. They were good deer bait, but they weren't real good. They weren't real good apples to eat. And my father would take grafts from good apple trees and he'd cut off a limb, a small limb off of that uh, little knotty apple tree, and he'd stick that uh, good uh, apple tree branch on it and graft it on there. And then over the years, that limb would draw nourishment from the trunk of the tree, but it'd begin to produce good fruit. What's the point, Pastor? My point is, is that receiving with meekness the engrafted word of God means something undesirable had to be cut off, right? You know what? Take your area of pick. If it's something, in, if if you think a way about uh, human sexuality that's contrary to what God's word says, guess what? Let's cut that off and let's say, what does the word say? And implant that. If you think a certain way about doing business, you know, some people, you know, some people that are even believers, they think that they can separate their business life from their, from their spiritual walk. But you understand that, that God, one of the things God talked about in the Old Testament, He hated was a dishonest weight. Because you understood they sold stuff by weight and they weighed out uh, precious metals for their currency and stuff in. And a lot of people, they, they'd be sneaky and they'd make false weights to try to rip people off when they were exchanging currency or they were purchasing something. And so God definitely does want us. And so you begin to need to think, well, you know what? It's not just dog eat dog. I, you know, I, when I do my business, I've got to do things the way that brings honor to, the, uh, to honor to God and does it the way He wants to. So you go and you cut off what you thought about business 
how to conduct yourself in business, and you engraft what God says. And so the whole idea of, of, of engrafting something means I've got to cut off something that's not profitable or desirable and graft in something that's a desired fruit. And, that's, and, then, and so we're talking about the Word of God. Verse 22, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away immediately and forgets what kind of man he was. I want to read this to you out of the God's Word translation. It says, Do what God's Word says. Don't merely listen to it or you will fool yourselves. If someone listens to God's Word but doesn't do what it says, he's like a person who looks at his face in the mirror. He studies his features, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. However, the person who continues to study God's perfect teachings and make people free and who remains committed to them will be blessed. People like that don't merely listen and forget. They actually do what God's teachings say. That's the God's Word translation. So the first thing is you've got to be a doer of the Word. And, and looking at this passage of Scripture talking about being a doer of the Word, it reveals the second thing that we need to do. There in that, that uh, latter part of the verse, verse 25, it says, that the person who continues to study God's perfect teachings and make people free and who remains committed to them. You've got to be committed. How many of you all know that, that the Bible and God's promises aren't just, you know, it's not like instant pudding. Amen? How many of y'all know what I mean? I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to buy regular, you know, she'd buy a mixed bag when she'd buy pudding sometimes. Sometimes she'd buy the kind that you had to cook on the stovetop and simmer for a while. And sometimes she'd buy the instant pudding. And how many of y'all know that, that if I wanted pudding and I ran to the cupboard and said, Mom, I want some pudding. And I pulled it out and all that was there was the stuff you had to simmer for 15 minutes. I was like, oh, man. Why? Because I wanted pudding right then, right? I wanted stuff, you just shook it in the bowl, you pour a little bit of cold milk, beat it up and let it stand for two minutes, and then you're eating pudding, right? How many of y'all know that I, I still will say that the simmered stuff tastes better than the instant stuff? But you understand that we've got to be committed to God's Word. Number one is being a doer of the Word. But number two is, is that you stay committed to it. That you, that you walk in patience to it. That, you know, that we don't you know, say, God, I'm giving, you, uh, I'm giving you one month to turn this situation around, and if you don't, I'm just throwing it in my hands and quitting. Well, how many of y'all know sometimes it's going to take God, it might take God, you understand this, God could do something instantly. <laughs> Help me have a good example here, Lord. How many of y'all know that your children can do stuff to get themselves in a mess that you might be able to just go immediately and get them out of it? Usually it's got dollar signs in front of it, don't it? How many of you know that you know, your children... Let's just use an example of, of, of buying a car. How many of you know your kid, because this is the biggest temptation, for I think, for most kids, they either graduate high school or as soon as they graduate college and they want to go out and they want to buy a car, and a lot of times they want to buy more cars than what they can afford. I remember when I sold cars out in Oklahoma when I was, right after I graduated Raymond. We'd have had a young couple come in. They made, you know, uh, made about $2,000 a month between them, and their rent was... Uh, their rent was thousand uh, dollars a month, and they wanted to buy a, a car with a five hundred dollar a month payment. Wanted to buy a brand new Nissan Maxima, and they said, "Well, we make two thousand dollars a month, so our rent's only a thousand, and cars five hundred. That'd give us five hundred dollars a month for groceries and utilities and everything." I tried my best to talk them out of buying that car. I mean, they didn't like me, so they went to another salesman and sell it to them. I tried to talk them into an Altima. I said, "The Altima's a nice car. You can get that, and you can get in a payment for under three hundred dollars a month, and that'll give you a lot." No, we want a Maxima. It's like, it's just the two of y'all. You ain't got any kids or anything right now. No, we want a Maxima. Huh? 
But this is the thing. Your, your children can go out and they can buy a car that's more than what they can afford and then they miss a couple of payments and then they go, Oh, Mama. Oh, Daddy. Well, how many of y'all know that you could, that it's it's real conceivable that a parent could have enough money if your kid went out and they had you know twenty thousand dollar car note that you may have the finances to where you could say well you know what I love you come here let's just go ahead and let's just write you a check and let's pay this car off and you just pay dad back and you know it ain't never gonna happen you know they're gonna sell ice skates in hell before you get your money back when you do something like that for your kid right <laughs> it just ain't gonna happen right but guess what. They've went out, have they learned anything? What they've learned is, I can go out and overextend myself, and then mommy and daddy will bail me out. And then guess what? The next time they overextend themselves, it won't be $20,000, it'll be $40,000. Because you like to keep up in the ante, right? Hey, I got by. How many of y'all understand that maybe the best thing to do if they're two payments behind is help them with the two payments and then sit down and go over their budget with them and talk to them and then just maybe you just maybe come to the realization that you tell them, you know what, son, this is probably too much car for you. You probably need to put it up for sale and try to sell it and get out from underneath it. Or you start looking at other alternatives or you say, you know what, your current income's not enough. Maybe you need to pick up a you know, part-time job work, pick up an extra 10 hours or 12 hours someplace a week and pay it. What's your point, Pastor? My point is is that sometimes if people are given the easy way out of something, they don't learn a lesson and so you're prone to repeat the same mistakes over well my, my point is is with god when you get a revelation in the word of what god wants to do that god that god is on your side that god wants to see you prosper that god wants to see you have good things in life god wants you to have seed to sow speaking fine. god wants you to have bread to eat and seed to sow this is the thing don't start thinking when you get a revelation of it in a month or two months or even in a year or two years man everything's going to turn around because if you've dug yourself in a hole for 25 years this is the thing. Believe God that God's going to work in your circumstances. And yes, I've heard testimonies, and you can believe God for this. Just keep believing God for it. That there's been testimonies where God's, you know, I mean, just like snapping the fingers and God's dug people out of hold because God knows, okay, they've learned the lesson. Right? They've learned the lesson. But sometimes it's not in your best interest for it to be changed immediately. <clears throat> Amen? Be patient. Amen? It's Luke chapter 8. We're going to wrap this up quickly. Luke chapter 8. We're talking about two things that you do to be molded into a vessel of honor, right? We all want to be vessels of honor. We want to be someone that brings honor to God and that God can use in our life. Luke chapter 8, I just want to read you a little excerpt out of the parable of the sower. We're going to look at verse 15. We all know the parable of the sower. Jesus told the parable of the sower. The sower went out, sowed the seed. Some fell by the wayside. Some fell on stony ground. Uh, some, you know, some fell among thorns and some fell on good ground. And Jesus is saying here in Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 15, says, But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, kept it and bear fruit with patience. Amen? Patience. The Bible says in Luke 21, 19, Jesus said, The context of this statement I'm getting ready to give you uh, is, Jesus, remember Jesus' scholars had come to him and said, Jesus, what's going to be the sign of uh, the end of the age and you're returning and da-da-da? And Jesus began to tell them all these things that sure wouldn't make you happy. Right? You know, D Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. They're going to deliver you up in their synagogues and you're going to be uh, killed uh, for my name's sake and all that stuff. And Jesus says, and he says, uh, the New King James Version says, In your patience you possess your souls. Luke 21, 19. In your patience you possess your souls. Amen? Understand this, we're talking about soul again, not your spirit. Your mind, your will, your intellect, right? 
By, here it is in the New Living Translation. By standing firm, you will win your souls. Contemporary English version says, you will be saved by being faithful to me. The God's Word translation says, by your endurance, you will save your life. Amen? Jesus is saying, here's, here's the second key. The first key is, is being a doer of the Word, but then being committed to it, being faithful, being patient, and realizing God's working something great in you, and God is, is molding you into a vessel of honor. You just have to be patient with Him. Amen? And you understand this? Second, uh, Second Peter 1, verses uh, 5 through 8, talks about patience is one of the ingredients to being fruitful. Amen? You can write that and you look at it. But patience is one of the things of being fruitful. Okay? So this is the thing. Realize Romans 8 says, All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. This is the last, this is the last two components of it. Number one is be a doer of the Word. Find out what does the Word say. How does the Word say I conduct myself? How does the Word say I need to act? And we, and we do that. The other one is, is be patient and realize just because you may have did things wrong, you may have did things wrong, for 25 years, and it might take more than a month of doing them right for you to start seeing the course changing. Right? How many of y'all know that it takes some time to turn a battleship? I mean, you can't turn those things on a dime, can you? It takes some time to turn it. Okay, so realize that. And then be patient. Be a patient doer of the Word. And know this, all things work together for good. Okay? Number one, for those who love God. Amen? John 14:15 says, If we love Him, we keep His commandments. Loving God's not just a sentimental feeling that we have toward Him, but if we really love Him, we keep His commandments. We do the Word. Second thing, it says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Called according to His uh, purpose. Um, uh, you understand this, is that, <clears throat> that 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, Paul says he was called to God's purpose by grace. Philippians uh, 3, 7 through 12, Paul talks about that... Uh, that the things he once counted as precious and important to him, that he said, I've abandoned those things. I consider them dumb. They're not, they're not worth pursuing anymore. So the, the thing is, is knowing that you've got to be a doer of the Word and that you patiently do it. And everything that you go through, if you love God, and that means you keep His commandments, and if you're called according to His purpose, that means you're seeking His kingdom first and His righteousness then all things work together for good. And everything that the devil's thrown at you in your life that he meant to be a source of destruction and desolation in your life, God can take the desert, desert of your life and turn it into a blooming garden if, you ju if we are willing to submit ourselves to him. Amen? And so understand this. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is going back to Jeremiah 20. Going back to Jeremiah. We started in Jeremiah 18. We're going to end 29. I love this verse. God speaks to the prophet and he says... I know the plans I have for you. Plans for peace. He said plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Amen? There's two people that have plans for you. The devil has one for you. And understand this. The devil's plans are the exact opposite of God's. If God has a plan for you to give you a future and a hope and to prosper you, the devil's plan is to steal your future, to steal your hope, and to, and to steal your prosperity that God wants to bring to you in your life. Amen? And so we get to choose, right? We get to choose. We determine what type of vessel we are. Let's purpose to be vessels of honor. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name.